0: You're listening to the ACL podcast. This week my guest is Harry's co-founder and Warby Parker co-founder, Jeff Rader. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jeff, how are you? Good thanks. How are you, thanks, Michael? I'm good. It's it's nice to nice to get a chance to talk to you. I feel like I would only see you by accident maybe on spring street occasionally as you, as you went <laughs> to work
1: i know miss those days random <laughs> sidewalk run-ins
0: <laughs> do you miss your old haunts in the city i mean are you feeling like
1: i do i really do you know what you know what hit me is um uh my my favorite coffee shop is ground support um and um i got a message um i'm like instagram or linkedin or one of those platforms from from the guy who ran it saying that he was selling it and leaving the business and just thanking me for all of the coffees i bought over over the years and then i guess all the, the support that you know the harry's team gave him and um saying that we helped to build a you know we were part of a fabric of a community that he really valued and it it just made me miss um yeah made me miss my walks on spring street and seeing you and getting a coffee and all the people that you see on a kind of daily basis um, who are part of the community and make your life better in like a little way that, you know, you you don't see it as much in in these days. So
0: Yeah, it's pretty, it's kind of, it's kind of sad that we're just out of all of the sort of typical rhythms of our life. And, and a lot of what makes, and this is my sort of pushback on all the, like New York is dead talk is that there's nothing that can sort of step in for those run-ins or that energy, Right.
1: Now, I think New York is going to come back in a way that's going to be really spectacular. Um, I think yeah, the, I do too. The level of creativity and en- energy and ingenuity that people are going to bring to reinventing like the experiences they have in the city are going to, going to be pretty remarkable. I'm, I'm excited to uh, to participate in it.
0: Do you feel like you would ever live anywhere else, outside, uh, not in New York? Uh, you know, for
1: me personally, like my life, my location choice, I guess, has always been a bit dictated by my, my work is, you know, which I think is typical for lots of people. And um, I think that for Warby Parker and Harry's, you know, the two companies that I was really fortunate to get to participate in starting and, you know, Harry's where, where, where I spend most of my time today, it makes a lot of sense for them to be in New York city. I think there's just an incredible mix of, um, of, t- of people and talent and partners that we work with and culture. Um, you know, I used to, Say so, yeah, like I get inspiration from from that walk to work, walking by all of the amazing stores and boutiques and seeing what other brands were doing in the world that were interesting and unique, well beyond you know the categories that we plan. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense for the companies to be in New York. And then you know I personally probably now more than ever miss being with our team a lot, and so being close to the office and close to the team, it's always been something that's been important to me. So I haven't really considered you know living anywhere uh, else for a. Uh, you know, in a normal period than, than New York. And, and I do love it a lot. And I miss the energy um, of being out and about in the city uh, in a big way and excited to at some point get back to that.
0: You know, you know it's interesting that you mentioned the team. And when I always think about Harry's, I, I think a lot about a lot of the great people that work there and have worked there and just how you guys have done such a wonderful job of not just building a culture, but also getting an amazing group together to me, that seems like, you know, having run my own very small business seems like one of the hardest things to do is find talented good people. How did you guys do that? Is there is there a secret?
1: Oh man, that's a great question. I think we were so fortunate um early on, especially, to um just come across um really wonderful people who um I think were naive, I guess enough, or uh mm-hmm blindly excited enough to to want to join us and go on this journey together. Um, and then I think from there, great people tend to just attract other great people. And it kind of just snowballs. I think, um, you know, in the early days at Harry's, a lot of the people that we met were through our own personal networks, like, you know, um a friend of a friend who was an exceptional software engineer, you know, and then uh, another friend of a friend who was amazing at social media. And then, you know, another friend who um, or guy we'd worked with at Warby Parker who helped us on the PR front and then said, Hey, we should probably hire somebody to help work with you on PR. I heard this, you know, person is amazing. You should talk to them and started mm-hmm. kind of cobbling together just a group of really awesome people. And then the magic is watching all of those people interact with each other, mm-hmm. um, to build, you know, a company and a culture and a brand in a way that I don't think we could have imagined, like, you know, the coolest part harry's is to is to see people who are so much better than than me do things that are like you know i'm like oh man i i would never have thought of that but i'm really glad that you did because it's cool <laughs> to see it happen do you
0: do you did you so did you ever envision so you let's go back to you being in business school like did you envision you would get to the point that you're at did you think like that's where you wanted to go
1: no i mean i i didn't know i so i um I worked, my, my quick background is I went to school um, at Johns Hopkins for college. And then I went to graduate school, international affairs. And I, I thought I wanted to like work in the state department or in the sort of foreign policy complex and ch- change the world by you mm-hmm. know, having an impact in kind of foreign policy and government affairs. And then I, uh, so I went to graduate school and did Washington DC and trying to do that. And I did a bunch of internships in DC and I kind of Realized that, you know, DC was a reasonably political place and a reasonably bureaucratic place. And maybe that wasn't the best uh, alignment with my interests or skills. And so I said, well, maybe I'll go work in the private sector. And I was fortunate enough to get a job at a Bain & Company, which is a you know, strategy consulting firm, then went to work at an amazing private equity fund called Charles Bank. And um, thought I was gonna kind of work in investing. And that was gonna be my path. Went to business school, which is a typical path for lots of people. Um, and then in business school, you know, one of my good friends had the idea for Warby Parker, and I already knew I was going to go back and work in investing after business school. Charles Bank, where I'd worked before, was paying for me to go to school, and so um, and so Warby Parker for me was like a fun opportunity to learn something new and work with some close friends on an idea that I was passionate about. And I didn't realize it at the time, but like that experience completely changed my life. Like I mm-hmm. I became fully enamored and raptured with this idea of starting this company, and like all I could talk to people about was glasses, and <laughs> like I was kind of boring to hang out with for a period of time. And um, <laughs> I just became obsessed and, and, and it was so exciting to like kind of take something that didn't exist and make it exist. You know, the day before Warby Parker launched, it was just a dream on a business plan. And the next day we were like giving customers products and hearing back from them and hearing how much they liked the products and trying to make their experiences better and learning and growing It was like, and hiring people. It was like this really kind of cool experience that I've had. And, um, and then I, went, I left you know, Warby Parker to go back and work at in investing, which is the thing that I, I sort of had intended to do and I was still moonlighting Orby Parker because I was obsessed with it. And, um, I was super close with my co-founders. And, um, and I think in that experience, like really realized that what I was passionate about was, was trying to build companies or products or experiences that, you know, would would hopefully brands that would, uh, in some way sort of impact people in a positive way. And, um, and so that kind of led me down the path of wanting to build Harry's. And I, I guess I never, truly thought about, well, what could Harry's be someday? Like I was sort of like, Hey, we should go fix this problem around shaving that so many other guys have that we have, you know, around being able to get awesome products that are really high quality and, you know, crafted in a way that we'd be proud to use every day and a brand that speaks to me as a, a normal person who's kind of trying to figure out how to take better care of myself. um, uh, I feel
0: feel like the brand, the, the brand bit of it sorry I don't want to interrupt yeah. um, but I feel like the brand bit of it is is just as interesting as the problem that it's solving because yeah. you kind of look at the marketplace there's in a world where now there's a million different types of brands for every personality yeah. in even still I feel like in that space it's it's fairly limited it in terms of you know reflect trying to find something that reflects who you are as a as a human
1: yeah completely I think that that That's right. I think, I do think the product matters a lot to start. Like, you know, we Mm -hmm. ended up Harry's buying a razor factory in Germany (laughs) because we cared so much about making really high quality products. And like, you know, I think that, uh, some, this woman who was amazing to work with us in marketing at Harry's used to say that marketing is the tax, uh, for a product just being unremarkable. Like if you have a remarkable product, you don't have to market it. It just is what it is. And so I feel like start with like just having an amazing product and caring so much about that. I mean, we've invested at this point hundreds of millions of dollars in trying to make the best razor blades we possibly can. You know, mm-hmm. literally our latest blades, which are the sharpest blades ever, like we literally shoot laser beams at the edge of the blades to clean them so that we make them sharp, so that we reduce the cut force with the, that, the, that the blades cut that your hair right. so that you get a smooth shape. Like we care a lot. And so it has to start with an amazing product. And then I think hopefully the brand, you know, shares a set of values that we share as people and that our customers share. And, you know, for me, like, Brands that try to put on airs or have pretense, like I just don't, don't really appeal. I think brands that are kind of honest and direct and open and growing and learning in the same way that people grow and learn, you know, just appeal more. And so, tried to do that with Harry's and make it this warm, sort of approachable brand that you know is honest that we haven't figured everything out. But in company, we haven't figured anything out, but we're learning and growing in the same way that our customers are kind of on this that journey themselves.
0: I, I think it's cool. I've, I've so. I've been able to follow Harry's, I think, from very early days. And so it's cool to see that it feels it is very approachable and friendly. And it it sort of has the same like the aesthetics, the the, everything has sort of followed along in this in, in a very nice progression and hasn't evolved radically over time, feels still very much, you know, like the brand I remember when it launched. And I think sure. you guys did a good job of getting it right initially. And then it hasn't had to sort of go through all these changes and, you know, evolve yeah. drastically.
1: Yeah. I think that that's right. And I think that's part of it, feeling comfortable to people. We also haven't changed the price on our products. Like, you know, for a long time, like our razor blades have been $2 each, like, you know, an eight pack of blades uh, still costs $16. That's you know? amazing. And so I think that's the other piece. And so, you know, what we try to do is make every little piece of the product better. I think, you know, I, I was sitting with, um, head had a design and we literally were looking at, you know, the starter set that we send our products and the people we've changed every single component of that set. Now we've tried to make everything better in like slight nuanced, interesting ways, mm-hmm. um, from the handle itself, to the blades to the way that the packaging works, et cetera. Um, but, um, but it, has, it doesn't have to be a wholesale reinvention. It can be an evolution where we're just continually trying to sort of yeah, make this a little better and that a little better and that a little better. And if you can make the product and the experience a little better over time and you know, maintain the price, like I hope then people get better and better value and better experience being a customer.
0: What did they say when you, when you at the factory in Germany when basically when the conversation even – I don't even know how it would – like what the first instance of like, hey, we want to buy the factory. Okay. How, how did they react to that?
1: It was wild. I mean, it it took us a year just to build like any form of credibility there. I mean, they used to call us the American Internet Cowboys. Like so, <laughs> when we um, when we when we uh, were um, starting with, we would email them and they would email us back and then email us back and email us back, and we would then take their and the email they would then email each other, you know, these chains, and then copy us back in. And so there were these chains in German of folks at the factory talking to each other. And so obviously my co-founder and I took those changes, just put them to Google translate and like, what are they saying? And the line's like, well, the American internet boys would like to buy 1 million razor blades, you know, for this price. It was like, I, we were like, oh gosh, like we got a lot of work to do. But I think that the thing that we were really conscious of was that we had to kind of always follow through on what we promised. And so We started by saying, Hey, you know, we want to partner on this. We want to build a brand together. Here's our plan. In order to start, we want to buy a million razor blades. We will pay you tomorrow. And so we bought the million razor blades. We had the contract. We actually didn't have the money to pay them. So we had to go back and raise the money quickly, but we did that and then we paid them. And so it's like, okay, we're a real customer. We just bought, you know, a a lot of product from you and we're in business together. And then, you know, we launched and we showed them all the plans for how the the business would expand and we kept hitting or beating the plans. And so they just started to, to sort of believe in us. And then we showed them a plan for where we were going to go. And we said, hey, five years from now, we could be more than half the volume of the whole factory. Like we're going to grow significantly. There's a ton of demand for the product. People love it. And because we're talking to all of our customers directly, we know how to make the product better. And here's everything we're hearing from our customer, how to improve it. And so we need to go build new production lines. And like, when we know this stuff is complicated, like you're, you're buying really intensive German equipment that you've got to customize. It takes a year to do this stuff. Like let's get started now. And so that naturally led to, us making a bigger investment in the factory and then us buying the factory. And the nice thing was that I think the folks there were like super excited about the chance to work with us Mm -hmm. and to have a brand that, you know, they were proud of and believed in. And that was part of the company as opposed to just being a supplier. And um, I think we were always very much aligned on sort of like, just on sort of our core basic values, how to treat each other, how to follow through on our promises, et cetera, et cetera. um, Do
0: do you feel, do you feel like that's a, 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 through line, through what you have done in, in the business at Harry's is just be more open with, I mean, cause it seems like there, there's sort of above the standard of openness in that relationship, right? Do you, do you feel like that's something that you've tried to do is just be more sort of upfront with all your partners, your employees, your, everyone that you you know, everyone you work with and, and let that be, you know, something that guides where you're going.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that being direct and open and transparent is super, super helpful. Um, And I think providing people as much context as possible as to why you might do something, I think, is also really helpful Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and valuable. I think that that I take I spent a lot of time today, I think, just like trying to help people with as much information as possible understand like why we might go in direction A versus direction B because the more people internalize that and then feel like, Oh yeah, that is like, I get it. I believe I'm bought in. I believe it. Like the more motivation you're going to have across, that's how you get a lot of people to move quickly in one direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, smart. And so that makes you, that was complicated in Germany early on though, In, (laughs) in some ways because of the language barrier, I remember when we, right after we bought the factory, Andy and I went over to talk to the team there. We were so excited, which bus factory, and we're standing on these wooden crates that are like six or seven feet off the ground. And we're looking out at the whole factory floor. And there's 420 people that worked there at the time. I think now we're like over five, well over 500. And wow. there's like more people than I've ever spoken to in my life, but almost, I feel like the whole town is there. And we start speaking in English, you know, saying how excited we are and our plans for the future. And then he was running at the factory at the time starts translating. And we speak for like 15 seconds and he's speaking in German for like a minute. And I hear him say Warby Parker and like all this, other, I'm like, what is going like, what is he saying here we have no idea but at the end they, they seemed excited so we sort of took it as a That's good translation
0: funny. and has the this is kind of a i don't know because i'm so interested in where things are made and how things are made and all that sort of stuff and i really i really like factories for some reason um, but has the german government been helpful for you guys i mean yeah. have you have you noticed that are, are there things they're doing that wouldn't happen here
1: um, i'm not sure about wouldn't happen here but the government and the town and the region has been really helpful. Um, they've given us um, grants um, to uh, continue to sort of invest in and build out the factory. We've also become a really big employer. We've hired a lot of people. We've run a really big apprenticeship program there um, that I think has been you know, impactful for folks in the region trying to start you know, in, in engineering roles. Mm-hmm. We have these like open nights now where we invite people from the community to come and see the factory which is cool. I think both, um, people who might be interested in working there someday, but also like the families of the, of the folks who work at the factory.
0: Um, that's interesting. Just, I cool. mean, just coming in gives them a sense of inclusion, right? Just really. to like, be able to go in to this building, they probably drive. by. Yeah. The
1: yeah. There's another funny story. So when we, um, when we built a whole new wing of the factory, literally like a whole giant new building that we filled with machines, um, kind of right down the road. And, um, we did a groundbreaking there, and the, like the, the the sort of regional minister came, and the mayor of the town, a bunch of German politicians came. It was a big moment for us, and, and so, um, and so we're going to do this groundbreaking, and you know we all have shovels, and Andy and I like dig in and dig like a little clump of dirt and throw it over shoulder, and these guys are digging like huge like clumps <laughs> of dirt and throwing, and they're like, gotta get your game, your shoveling game together. It's just, that, no, it's, yeah.
0: That's an important groundbreaking. Yeah, tip, you know. Exactly. For any, anyone to know,
1: step on the shovel and then.
0: So, in the in the idea of um, t- giving people tips, and I was thinking about now being a time when a lot of people, for one reason or another, are starting new things, starting a new business, or maybe they're you know lost their job and are pivoting to do something else, and um, you, you know, sort of stepping back from maybe the, the way that you've built some of these startups, but just more generally speaking, are there, I mean, I I don't want to put you totally on the spot, but is, are are there, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of advice that you would give someone that is starting a business right now?
1: Yeah. I think for me, at least personally, and I try to give this advice to folks on our team. I was actually talking to someone on our team about this just yesterday. I think it's really about figuring out what makes you happiest. Like, I think there's such a strong correlation to the things that make you happiest and the things that you're good at. And then like, um, sort of your success in your role. Like those are just, they're like, they're all in my mind, highly intertwined. Mm -hmm. And so, no, if, if what makes you happiest is like organizing a bunch of complicated information and creating structure with that, and then helping people understand, like, there's a lot of great jobs that do that. If it's like building something from nothing, like, there's a lot of great jobs for that. If it's getting your hands dirty and tinkering with product or built, you know, mm-hmm. there's if it's you know solving really hard math problems, like there, I don't know. There's a lot of different things that make different people happy, mm-hmm. and so I would um, I would try to find opportunities and new roles or in starting something that are just like highly aligned to like what you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes you happy, and also try to find a situation where the other people that you might be working with are in some way complementary to you. So if there's things that you don't love doing, that they can sort of mm-hmm. take those things on.
0: Are, are there certain things that you liked along the way more than? Yeah, other
1: yeah. I really like new stuff. Like I personally get a little bit bored, I'd say, and um, probably less engaged when everything is like working perfectly and the system is running and we're trying to like refine or optimize the process. I know that's super important when you run a company. And so, you know, I obviously try to, to engage there the best I can, but also we've hired a bunch of people who love that and are really good at it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I trust them to kind of do a lot of that stuff. And then what I like is like a new brand that speaks to a new customer, in a new way, or entering a new geography or, um, or like launching at retail or like some new, big, exciting project Mm -hmm. with like a huge sort of amount of white space. We have to figure out a lot of things to get there. And you kind of, it's almost binary. You go from like zero to one, like those types of things are super fun for me. Um, And so I sort of know that I know I get energy there. And the nice thing about Harry's and our sort of our mission and vision in the future is that we want to go build or buy multiple new brands that are going to sort of, you know, enable us to build a next generation CPG company. That for me is super cool and exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have all these exciting product launches that come along. The way. So we just launched antiperspirant and deodorant, which is a product I've loved from, that we've made and developed for a long time. I love it; like it's it smells great. We use the same scents that we use in our body wash: shiso and fig and stone and redwood. They smell there's natural scents that smell great. And then we give people like the right level of protection for for how much they sweat. So if you sweat a lot, we've got an extra strength sort of you know antiperspirant If you don't sweat that much, you know we've got just a plain deodorant. And so, you know, for me to be able to like understand that product, geek out on it, engage a ton, use it myself, love it. And then get to like launch it into the world. Like that's super fun and exciting. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are the things that I like. And then, you know, try to find people who are amazing at all the other things that you have to do. Um,
0: Do you ever feel like you've hired all these amazing people and sort of the thing you were one, you, you were one of the key reasons that Harry's became successful in the beginning. And then you're sort of, I don't mean this in a bad way, Jeff, I, I love you. Uh, you. You start to feel like obsolete or like, we've got all these talented people around, Yeah, you know, I, and that's not a negative thing, but how do you cope with that?
1: It's awesome. Actually, Andy and I say that our role is to obsolete ourselves. I think mm-hmm. if you're managing a team, that should be your job is like, how do you actually empower the people under you and teach them and help grow them so that they can do your job super well, um, and then you can go on doing something else. The nice thing is, like, I don't, I don't ever feel obsolete. Maybe I feel obsoleted in terms of running Harry's brand day to day or something, but then mm-hmm. there's like six more brands that I get to go build. Yeah. Or like, it frees me up to get to go chat with you. Right? Like, there's always more stuff to get to go do. Yeah. And for me, who loves new stuff, like that's actually like like uh, liberating. It's a gift.
0: Mm-hmm. And I gotta yeah, go focus on new things. It's cool. That's a good way to look at it. Do you feel that since you started Warby Parker and Harry's that just the landscape of how to like how startup brands or CPG brands or DTC brands, however we want to refer yeah. to it has changed dramatically or what do you see?
1: I think so. When we started Warby Parker, which was, I guess, over 10 years ago, like there weren't very many other brands that were starting that way, you mm-hmm. know, selling direct to consumer, um, trying to create great experiences for customers and, having their customer experience team not be like a cost center, but like a, a way to actually create a relationship with someone
0: mm-hmm.
1: around products that were great and, you know, deliver good value. Like there just wasn't a lot out there. And I've I looked today and there's a ton of brands that are getting built around that notion, you know, lots of times people will pitch us ideas. They're like, we want to be the Warby Parker of X or, um, how many period. times? How
0: many times have people said uh, we want to be the w- reference Warby Parker to you in in terms of some other brand, like a million? A lot, yeah.
1: <laughs> Over time, and I guess my response, I was like, "Hey, I really hey, that's incredibly flattering, and I really appreciate it, and you know, thank you for,
0: uh-huh. for
1: considering us." And you know, when we built Warby Parker, we had other brands that we looked to that we admired and still do. You know, I think um, that's not, I think that being the something of something else probably isn't what you should aspire to be. You should aspire to be the, I don't, I don't want to be the Warby Parker of shaving. I want to be the Harriers of shaving, like, mm-hmm. you know, men's personal care. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, uh, so I guess that's how I think about it. And I wouldn't, so I think people should try to, you know, form and be their own identity. and something. So I think a lot of new brands have started. I think great brands will get built every day and every year because they're fundamentally changing Sort of the way that people are interacting with a product in a category and better meeting their needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the thing that I'm like, we've tried to be most focused on is, does this brand truly and differentially meet the needs of the end consumer? And if it does, then I think it has a reason to exist because people's lives are better for it. If it's just another brand that's out there in the world that's not doing that intentionally, I think that's where maybe you can get a pop and you start to grow a little bit. But I think it's hard to to be sustainably different. Mm-hmm. Therefore
0: harder I think, to, to last that's I look at warby and look at Harry's and think there's obvious there's obvious friction and obvious problems that yeah that out to solve right and just yeah. the either the brand you know it's like just looking at razors it's like either the brand doesn't doesn't work to me or it's like I have to like extricate the razors, yeah. you know, from like beyond the security thing, or it's just like a, a weird situation and, and, yeah. and, and it's really
1: expensive too. I mean, yeah, really
0: expensive. yeah, exactly. And so to me, like it makes, you know, these brands to your point, like make a lot of sense and are actually solving a problem. There's a startup brand that I really like that's called Coterie. They make diapers yeah. and it's, uh, you know, at first I I'm, I'm sort of always instantly dismissive of any sort of stuff brand because I feel like a lot of things are trying to reinvent products that don't, don't need reinvention. And then Coterie comes along and they're, they're making amazing stuff and they're solving a serious problem for our family. And I'm like, this is great. And and Harry's is right in there and Warby Parker's right in there. And to me, it's like, I think DTC gets a little bit of a bad rap because there's a lot of sort of weirdness going on. Uh, and there's also then companies like what you're doing that have, you know, actually solved a real problem. And I think it's it's just interesting to see. But part of me thinks like, is it is it just like Facebook enabled a lot of that to happen, or like performance marketing? I don't want to say it's Facebook's fault.
1: Yeah, I think it's not just that. I think the whole like it's just much easier today to launch brand. Like, you know, I think I think the company that made participated most in that in a good way is Shopify. Like Mm -hmm. there's a million sellers now on Shopify. It's really easy to launch a Shopify store and they do a great job, like a great job. And so, you know, now I have a platform that I can launch a brand on that's really, really strong in a way. And that Shopify existed when we started Harry's, but it wasn't nearly as sophisticated or robust as it is today. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, I, I, there's major sort of, you know, social platforms where I can reach a lot of people. I can reach a lot of people on Google, like individual in- p- influencers have tremendous voice and can let a lot of people in the world know about what I'm doing. And so in some ways, it's just easier like to, to launch a brand today than it probably ever has been. Um, now, the flip side is because it's easier, so many more people are doing it. So now it's really noisy. And so you know, there's new brands that are launching every day And for a consumer, you're probably sitting there and I'm the same way as a consumer trying to figure out, okay, all these brands launching and talking to me about different things, like which ones are resonating? Which ones do I care about? How do I actually take the time to get to learn more about these things so that I can figure out, you know, how to make a good choice for myself? Yeah. Um, And that's that's why I think brands that are really focused on making the experience better, you know, for the Williams household, like (laughs) that matters a lot. It does. And so you got to, you know, and, and then that's how you're going to cut through and resonate. And then not only that, but keep people as customers for a long, long time, which is super important.
0: I mean, like in the Coterie example, it's like, I'm a huge advocate for them. I'm always sort of just telling people about it or yeah. I'm sending it as a gift to people I yeah. know that are having a baby. And that's, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just doing, it cause I think it actually makes their lives better. Right. So yeah. if, you know, to your point about the, you know, marketing being a tax, right. Is that, that sort of fits right in with that, which is kind of interesting. Exactly. Do, do you ever think back about, you know, someone was asking me this today, I did this Q and a this morning actually. Um, and, and someone was asking me what I would when I was 25, uh, w- w- you know, tell me, what would I tell my 25 year old self? I know yeah. that could be like personally or professionally. Does anything yeah. jump out at you?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the thing I probably tell myself is you don't know, like, don't, necessarily do like what the world tells you, you should do. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's always things that happen and like that you think of in the world, like, Oh, this is a prestigious job to take, or like you should personally go, go do this thing because it's going to be like, good for you in some way. And so I think when I was younger, probably cared a lot more about that than actually like the things that would make me happiest. Um, mm-hmm. And I think over time, I just learned that I've probably gotten more mo- the most fulfillment at work and personally from just trying to do the things that I actually like doing the most and caring less about what maybe the world should think and more just about like what makes me happy so i think if i if I just cared about what the world should think, I'd probably still be working and investing you know mm-hmm. in a really amazing place with great people, but probably not doing the thing that I liked most because at the time, at least, and obviously, you know, it's worked out great at Harry's, but at the time, leaving that to go do Harry's seemed like a huge risk that most people wouldn't want to take and mm-hmm. But I thought that it was the thing that, like, I was most passionate about would make me happiest, And I'm super proud <laughs> I did.
0: Do you think there's, like, when I look back at my sort of career trajectory, there's a certain amount of luck that came into play for me. Like, I was yeah. lucky to meet certain people. Do you feel that way? A thousand percent. A
1: thousand percent. Like, you know, I, I didn't have the idea for Harry's or Warby Parker myself. Both of those came from my friends, and so you know, the Warby Parker happened um, for me at least. I was sitting around in the computer lab after class with Neil, um, who you know, Michael, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and Dave came up to us, who's one of my other Warby Parker co-founders, and said, "You know, what do you think of starting a business that sells glasses online?" Like, if he, if I hadn't been there and we hadn't had that conversation, I would have never. My life would look different like mm-hmm. just personal and professional life. And that was, you know, a really important moment. like that. There was a lot of serendipity there. You know, I, I, Andy and I worked together, my Harry's co-founder for, um, for, you know, four years before I went to business school and he called me with the idea for Harry's. And so I think, you know, I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude to them and, you know, and luck. Um, but then I also think we worked super hard yeah, yeah, to, try to make these businesses work and hire amazing people. And, 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 you know, I'm really proud. I think most of like the fact that we think we've reached a lot of people and try to make their lives better and, and done a lot in the community. You know, at Harry's we, we, you know, in the last number of years have really thought about how do we improve the, the sort of state of the world around men's mental health. We've given over $5 million to help, in over 500,000 men with, with mental health issues. Like I, I feel like that's real impact that I think mm-hmm. we can measure. So.
0: That's great. Good for you. Do, yeah. do you, do, so when Andy called you, you know, and you ended up, you, you guys sort of explored this idea around Harry's um, did you, how did you sort of broach that? Like how did you end up sort of transitioning with Warby Parker and yeah. And in, into doing yeah. And, and maintaining yeah. that relationship well. And- yeah.
1: So at the time I had left, so I started Warby Parker when I was in business school. I left Warby Parker full time when we, we graduated business school because I'd, I'd worked at this investment firm, Charles Bank before school, and I would promised them mm-hmm. I was going to go back after. And, you know, people say, well, why did you do that? Like why, Warby Parker seemed like it was doing great. Why didn't you just stay at Warby Parker? And I was like, but I promised these other other guys like that I would come back and I had a lot of loyalty to them. And I felt like I that's what I needed to go do. Um, and so I did that. And then I realized in that period that when I was still working at Warby Parker kind of nights and weekends and then <laughs> had my day job in investing that, that I was just more passionate personally about startups. And that doesn't go for everybody. I think a lot of people would probably be more passionate about investing and, you know, Charles Bank is an amazing place. And so that would be a good place for a lot of people to end up.
0: Working. Do you, do you um, ever feel like you got, you got that job, you worked at Charles Bank and you had sort of accomplished what you thought was your goal maybe? And then you're kind of.
1: I don't think so. Cause I think the goal there is probably to have like a really successful and distinguished career in investing. And I was kind of mm-hmm. like in the middle of that career, like mm-hmm. they continue to get promoted and become a partner or whatever. And like, there was a whole track there and I kind of jumped off that track. So in some ways I feel like I didn't fulfill that path,
0: mm-hmm. but I
1: took another path, like sort of hit a fork and took another path mm-hmm. which is where Andy called me for Harry's and you know, then I had to sort of tell the folks that in investing that I was going to go do something new, which I think was surprising to some and not to others. And, um, uh, and then I went to Neil and Davis and the next folks to talk to and said, Hey, like, I want to go start something new. Let's, I need your help. Like, and you know, they were so incredibly helpful. Um, as we started cool. Harry's, I think well, we brought a lot of the same community to help us to build Warby Parker into Harry's, which was amazing and really fulfilling for me
0: mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting just to hear you you know talk about all this stuff and um, just sort of change from what was a sort of pretty standard career path into something and especially when you did it fairly unknown. how, how is that founder's role how does it feel for you because you don't strike me as the typical founder
1: i love it um it is all consuming though and i think that that's probably the thing that you, it took me a while to figure out how to adapt to mm-hmm. you know, when you're, you're running a company the highs feel so high and the lows feel like so low mm-hmm. and so I just like try to remind myself every day, like it's not as good as it seems, it's not as bad as it seems. Because otherwise, I was just like on a constant yo-yo, like emotional roller coaster, and like meeting the meeting day to day, which is really hard. And so you know, go to bed thinking about it, wake up in the morning thinking about it, and some of that like is the thrill of it. Like I like it. Like I, I feel. I, know I took a you know I took a couple of weeks off over the break and then now now I'm back working and it's like it's fulfilling and exciting and moving quickly and lots of hard problems and emotionally like uh, engaging and like I think those are amazing things about it but I think it took me time to like really figure out um, how to sort of control it um, mm-hmm. even like basic stuff like making time to walk to work in the morning like I used to like <laughs> I'd be like running late and take a taxi to work because I was like thinking about something working have to and like actually like finding or working out or blocking out time to spend with my family like Mm -hmm. those are things that can go by the wayside really quickly because it's so it's it's so all consuming and so I think I've had to kind of learn that so I can make it sustainable for myself but like it's pretty cool not to have a boss really like to get to chart the own path get to choose all the people that you work with to get to feel a lot of like you know fulfillment for making people's experiences better hopefully. I sort of think about all the ecosystems of people, like I have the whole, we have a whole team at Harry's that I hope will sort of leave this experience. I had one of the best professional experiences I could have ever imagined at Harry's. The customers we get to deal with, the community, like it is a really, it's really cool. And the other thing for me that's been amazing is to have a partner, like to have Andy as a co-founder and you know, he and I are really close friends and sometimes joke and kind of finish each other's sentences. And it's been a great kind of partnership there. How did you, how did you meet Andy? We worked together.
0: We interned together. Oh, oh, you said that, sorry.
1: Yeah. I met Andy my first day of my internship. I think I was wearing like a Brooks Brothers shirt or something that my mom had bought me. <laughs> like I was like two sizes too big. Like, you know, my first professional experience like just just trying not to screw it up. Like looking around like I need a friend. And I looked over and there was Andy and I was like, "Oh, can we be friends?" I mean, in like the what well, you might as a, you know, 21-year-old intern or whatever. So. It,
0: it's pretty funny that I was thinking the other day about You know, I was looking at my daughter and thinking, you know, she has all these sort of all these experiences, like going to school for the first day or all these things ahead of her that'll cause like anxiety, not like crippling or terrible anxiety, but cause a lot of, you know, that sort of feeling that I feel like as an adult, I don't really get much of anymore. I know. It's like, if you think about young Jeff going in for his internship and how he's nervous, it's kind of cool to think about. So
1: it is, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I have, you know, as we talked about before, I've got three kids and I, it's, it's funny. You see their worlds. The other thing that's cool about kids is like their, their lives and worlds in some ways are like so much smaller. Like I have a four-year-old, you know, her whole lifespan, probably what she can remember is only a couple of years. And so everything feels so prescient and intense to her because there's just not that full set of experience. She also remembers so much more than I do. I'm like, I can't remember what happened yesterday, but because I have to remember a lot more things, you know. Whereas, it's it's it is cool to think about all those. Yeah,
0: well. so. yeah. Um, I just have one more question for you, and it's not an important one. And then I'll let you go. And thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Um, you know, I'm really bad at email, and I've sort of made the decision that I'm just not going to be good at email. Hmm. Uh, and and I do my best. How are you with email? And what's your take on Inbox Zero?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm a proponent of inbox zero. Oh really? Yeah. And, and here's why not every day and every night, but generally here's why I, I'm super disorganized in general. And so I feel like if I can be responsive on email, then I'll very, at the very least make sure that like the people who I'm ser- working with and serving are like, uh, I'm organized and how I deal with them, or at least I'm responsive. Mm-hmm. And then I can sort of beyond that think about what my own priorities are and go kind of like work on, on those things. So, and I think, I don't know, I, that was ingrained in me like early on in my work career. So I think mm-hmm. I just picked up the habit and have, have stayed there. Um, so yeah, oh, okay. and, and you know, it's funny. Like I don't, we have used Slack at Harry's. I'm not a big user of Slack or like people have take digital notes. I'm like, very analog. Like I have a notebook and I have email and I kind of run my life in those two places. And it kind of like, that's how I organize myself as best yeah. possible. Um, and I think different things just work for different people.
0: Yeah, totally. I, I think a lot of these, I don't know, Slack to me is, I don't know, it can be good. And then it can, I don't know, it's to me it's like the most powerful tool is the thing I can find. If it's like my notes that I can find and come yeah. back to, then yeah. that, then it works, you know, and um it's yeah. it's funny but now i guess i'm just gonna have to up my i this is why i'm not successful you know i just i haven't mastered email that's what i yeah. need to work on well, this the year
1: search function, i don't know what you use as your sort of email part but the search functions and these email apps are so good now like yeah i can literally find things i ideally pr- pretty pretty quickly um <laughs> yeah i don't know i i i'm not the best at organization so i'm not sure i'm the perfect person to chat with but
0: Oh no, everyone's got their own take, which is all equally as as valid. Do you feel like people aren't shaving? Are you nervous about people being unshaven and not showering during the pandemic?
1: Um, So I was initially, I remember I got on a a Zoom call early on with some friends and I looked around and literally every single person had a beard and I was like, oh, this isn't gonna be good for me. Like, (laughs) um, but it turns out that people still are shaving uh, and our our business has actually done super well through the, the, Um, people, the other thing people are doing is buying lots of stuff online, which helps us. Yeah. And, you know, we, people think of us only as a shaving business brand because that's where we started, but, you know, we have a bunch of other product lines. We have hair products and we have, uh, body wash and we have, um, uh, wax, which we sell for Flamingo. Um, and those products have done great too. You know, our body wash for example, what we learned is that people are, show- are showering more and they're showering more at home because they're traveling less mm-hmm. so that they need, you know, more body body products. And so it, it's been cool to see how like the human behaviors here are changing or, or, or lots of women are going to the salon less to get waxed. And so they need at home products. And so our Flamingo wax products have done great. So that's stuff interesting. like that is kind of interesting to see.
0: Yeah, totally. I use the I use the body wash and the I, the soap's really good. And I've used yeah. a bunch of the hair stuff. I've used a lot of stuff and oh, like it okay. a lot. And and I think it's I'm not just saying this because because I, I like you, but I think you guys have done a good job of expanding the product in a way that's very logical. It 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 all works yeah. together. Where I don't think like why is the shaving company trying to sell me X, Y, and yeah. Z? You know, it yeah. all feels like a very very uh, familiar in a way. That sounds great. It's really great
1: to hear. You know, we try to do like one major product launch a year, and then you know, we invest. We we have our whole we have our own R and D team that just does our own product formulations, working with amazing labs, like thinking about how to make these products great, thinking about the right sense and experiences. And um, if you think put that much thought into it, like it takes a while to get it right. And so we kind of condition ourselves like let's do one thing a year and really try to get it right, and then try to connect them in ways that are logical. So. Yeah, we just like literally just launched antiperspirant deodorant a couple of days ago, but we're using the same scents that we use in our body wash mm-hmm. for antiperspirant deodorant because we've heard people really like those scents. And a lot of our customers have asked, hey, could you make me, you know, uh, an APD that has uh, Shiso or, you know, or smells like Redwood. And so we said, yeah, like we, we could do that. And so hopefully we continue to kind of keep the connectivity and not not go do too much so that we're confusing or whatever. Yeah. We take a lot of pride in that.
0: We've done a good job. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me out of your out of your schedule.
1: No, I, I appreciate it as well. It's always so good to catch up. And, and I hope, hope person. Sometime. Yeah, I
0: hope I hope I get to bump into you on Spring Street sometime in the
1: future. I'd love nothing more. <laughs> great.
0: All right, Jeff. Thanks for your time. All right.
1: Thanks, Michael. Bye.